the two scariest words ever, pop quiz, okay? And yes, this is for a grade, okay? Uh, let's review real quick. We've been uh, talking about prayer and the difference that it can make in our life, the way that learning how to pray better transforms our lives. We talked about prayers of adoration, that prayers of adoration change our, what? Perspective, yeah, see, okay, I said knocking off a point. Perspective on what? Everything, right? Prayers of adoration change our perspective on everything. That prayers of confession come when we are convinced of God's grace. Good, we had at least one, okay? So, convinced of God's grace when we're convicted of our guilt and when we're committed to Change? Okay, man, I need to go back and we need to really review, I guess. Uh, uh, prayers of confession happen when we're convinced of God's grace, when we're convicted of our guilt, and when we're committed to change. And then last week we talked about prayers of thanksgiving, that prayers of thanksgiving are really congratulations to God on His victory, right? Congratulations to God on His victory. You know, I was thinking just now about when my boys were babies. And even when I hold, uh, I try not to hold other people's babies. They just seem so fragile. But whenever I hold a, a little baby, especially when that baby grabs its hand around your finger, you know what I mean? And every time I've touched a little baby's hand, I think, oh, so tiny, right? Everything is so tiny. It's hard to believe that these little bitty fingers and these little bitty toes and these little bitty hands and these little bitty feet will someday grow up to be an adult full size. It's hard to look at your hand and imagine that your hand was ever so tiny, that your fingers were ever so tiny. People, living things, grow, don't they? That's what they they do. They grow. They're supposed to grow. We as Christians are supposed to grow. That, in fact, that's what this series is all about, is about transformational growth. We're not supposed to stay the same. We're supposed to grow. And church, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are many, right? There's many of us. We're all individual parts, and we're all this part of the same body, right? We're all a part of the same body. Now think about how a body grows, a body's made up of all different parts, right? And each part is distinct from the other. You can tell a finger from a toe. You can tell an eye from an ear. You can tell the difference between these different parts of the body. And they are distinct, but they're not independent from each other. And they don't grow independently from one another. A finger can't grow into an adult finger unless it's connected to the rest of the body and the rest of the body is helping that finger to grow. The same is true with every part of the body. It cannot grow independently from the rest of the body. We often talk about how when one member of our body is hurt, if my finger gets a scratch on it, I, I'm kind of a big baby when it comes to, you know, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with my other hand and I'll take care of it. I'll use my mouth to tell my wife, get me a band-aid. You know, I'll use my eyes to cry. My whole body reacts when one of my members is hurt. But it's not just when one member is hurt. 
all the time, even when I'm unaware of it. The rest of my body is rushing blood and oxygen to all the different parts of my body. Helping, nourishing, taking care of the rest of the body. Church, listen, that's the way transformational growth happens in the church as well. Growth does not happen independently. We have developed this way of thinking about Christianity and this way of thinking about faith, this way of thinking about growth, as if it's you by yourself independently and you just have your own personal relationship with Jesus and that's all that really matters. You come here, you get a little bit of spiritual nourishment, and then you go out there and you grow independently. That's not the way the Lord intended it. That's not the way it happens. Growth happens when you're connected to the body. Let's think about how that applies to the issue of prayer. Let me ask you a question. Do we need to pray for each other? Not, not should we pray. We all know that, right? We all know that we should pray for each other. But do we need to pray for each other? Let me ask another way. Do you need people praying for you? Does your spiritual growth require somebody praying for you? That's interesting to think about it like that, isn't it? I mean, we all think, yeah, it would be nice, it'd be good, we should be praying for each other's spiritual growth, but do you need someone praying for you? Let's look at a passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We're going to look at a few different passages in the book of Ephesians, and I love Ephesians. That's my favorite book, my favorite book of the Bible, Ephesians. We started off this year talking about Ephesians, do you remember We talked about being better, and we're still talking about growing, and how being better isn't just a matter of trying harder, it's about knowing the gospel. And so Paul's Paul's wish and desire and prayer for the, the church at Ephesus is, I just wish you would know what it is that you are, what it is that you have, what it is that you have access to. And so a lot of the book of Ephesians revolves around the idea of prayer. And in Ephesians 6, near the end of the letter, and he's talked about the spiritual armor of God, you remember? And he tells the Christians at Ephesus to to stand firm and be strong and put on this full armor of God. And he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. See how many times he uses the word all in that verse? Praying at all times in the Spirit, praying with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Be praying all the time for each other, in the Spirit, with all your prayers, verse 19, and also for me. Did you hear that? The Apostle Paul asked the church at Ephesus, please be praying for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for me that I have the words that I need to speak and that I can do so boldly. Now, was that just rhetorical? 
I mean, why did Paul ask the church at Ephesus to be praying for him? Was he just saying it just to be spiritual? Just to have something to fill it up? It sounds nice to say, hey, please pray for me. I don't think so. I think Paul knew and was convinced and believed that he needed people praying for him and the way he ministered and taught other people. And if Paul believed that he needed Christians praying for him, interceding on his behalf before God, what makes you and I think we don't need that? What makes me think that I don't need people desperately praying to God on my behalf if Paul believed that he needed people praying for him? Do we need people praying for us? Do we need to be praying for each other? Not just should we be praying for each other, but do we need it? You know, to me, it's, it's a lot like that body analogy. Does a baby's fingers and toes need blood flowing to those areas of their body? Do they need it? Do they, they need the nourishment and the care that the rest of the body gives to every single body part in order for them to grow and be healthy? Yes. Every single one of us needs the growth that comes from being connected and praying for each other. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. What kind of stuff ought we to be praying? So obviously the answer to that question, I believe, do we need to be praying for each other, is yes. We need it. You need it. You need someone praying for your spiritual growth. I need someone praying for my spiritual growth. I need a lot of people praying for my spiritual growth. Do we recognize that? Do we recognize that about the person sitting beside you on your pew? Your spouse, your kids, look across the auditorium. Those people on the other side of the auditorium, they need someone praying for their spiritual growth. And here's what it looks like. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I mean, I wish that I could honestly say that to someone. Since I heard about you, and since I heard about your faith, and I heard about your love for the Lord and your love for the church, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped thanking God for you, and I remember you in all of my prayers. And Paul says that over and over again to all the churches. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is what he's praying. So what he's telling them, this is what I've been praying on your behalf. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And then he lists three things. This is what I want you to know. And this is what I'm praying that you know. What is it? What is the hope to which God has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? Now, Paul says, 
This is what I'm always praying on your behalf. I not only am writing this letter to you so that you know these things, but I'm praying to God that He will help you to have what you need in order that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now, are we praying that kind of prayer for each other? We want it, don't we? Don't you want it? Don't you want that for yourself? Don't you want that for the person on the row beside you? Don't you want that for your spouse or your children or your, your parents or your grandchildren or what, whoever it might be? Don't you want that for McDermott Road? Don't you want that for each other? I want us to know, to know how great it is to have what we have. What we have is great, isn't it? But we haven't even begun to understand how great it is. I don't know that we ever will on this earth know how great what we have is until the Lord returns, but I want to know as much as I can. I want to understand and comprehend how great it is to be a Christian. And what if we prayed that for each other? What if we found people and we said, I'm going to commit myself to praying for them. I'm going to pray for them every single day that they may know what is the hope to which God has called us, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and that they may know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. I want them to know it and comprehend it and see it. And I'm going to commit myself to praying for them. Look at verse 20. This power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, excuse me, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want us to know it. Paul says your, your life would be completely turned upside down by this knowledge. And you say, well, I know. I know that Jesus died for me, and I know that Jesus reigns as king over heaven and earth. I know that Jesus is coming again. I know that I'm saved. I know that I have an inheritance. But we don't even begin to really know it, do we? I mean, we can know something at a surface level, and then we can know it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, think about marriage for a second. I mean, when you get married, theoretically, you know that the other person loves you and you know that you love them. But it's only after decades of committed marriage that you really know and experience that love in a way that you didn't know and experience even at the beginning. It changes and it gets deeper and it gets better. And Paul says, listen, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity happens over time, and I'm praying for that kind of spiritual growth, spiritual knowledge, spiritual maturity, so that your eyes can be more fully open, so that you can become more of who you already are, so that you can understand more of what you already understand. 
You've begun to grasp it, and I want you to grasp it even more. Let me ask you, did Paul really believe that they needed these kinds of prayers to be offered on their behalf? Was it enough for him to just write to them and say, hey, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. You just go, you take this knowledge, and you go out, and you think about it, and you become mature. Or did Paul really believe that in addition to that, taking this knowledge that he's writing to them, that they needed Paul praying for them? Did did he believe that they needed him praying for them? And if Paul believed that and knew that, do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you know that in some measure, the spiritual growth of your brothers and sisters in Christ depends on you praying for them? Think about that for a second. If Paul believed that the spiritual growth of the church in Ephesus depended on his prayers on their behalf, depended in part at least, on his prayers on their behalf, then do we realize the same thing about our brothers and sisters in Christ? That's a huge responsibility, isn't it? I mean, look across the auditorium and think about the people on the other side and say to yourself, in your mind, their spiritual growth depends in part on somebody praying these kinds of prayers on their behalf. Interceding on their behalf before God. And you say, well, why, why would it depend on that? Why, why can't I just have my own personal relationship with God? Why do I need somebody praying for me? Why does somebody have to be praying for me? Why do I have to be praying for somebody else? Because Jesus made us a part of a body. That's how it works. That's how it works. He didn't make you independent of the body. He made you dependent on the body just as any body part is dependent on the rest of the body. And growth happens collectively. And yes, you have to take responsibility and you have to think on your salvation and you have to work and you have to, you have to meditate and you have to pray. All of those things are true. But you also need people praying for you. Paul knew that the church in Ephesus, every single Christian in Ephesus needed someone praying for them. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 14. And again, he tells them about his prayers on their behalf. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, here's one thing, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that, here's what I'm praying, I'm praying that you're strengthened in your inner being through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And, three, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Paul says, in addition to what he says in the first chapter, I'm praying that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. He says here in chapter 3, I'm praying that you, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power, that you may have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What might happen if you started praying this for someone else? What might happen if you adopted Paul's prayers of intercession, interceding for other people, for their spiritual growth? What might happen in their life because of this? What might happen if you committed yourself to praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ like this? That you pray what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that you pray that for each other. You say, yeah, but but doesn't some of the responsibility lie on them? Of course it does. That's why Paul's writing them a letter, right? He's not telling them, hey, I'm praying for you, so just sit back and relax. You don't have to do anything. That's not what he's saying. And of course, if you pray for someone else, they've got to take responsibility. I understand that. You understand that. But if we're going to follow apostolic example, if we're going to follow the example of the men who Jesus sent into the world to teach the world what Christianity was all about, then this is how we ought to pray. Then we have to commit ourselves to praying for each other. Praying that our brothers and sisters may be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, that they may have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, and that they may be filled with the fullness of God. Look at verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm asking a great deal of God for you, right? And that's what Paul's doing, isn't he? He's saying, I'm asking a great deal from God for you. Can we even say that part? About each other? Could we look our brothers and sisters in Christ in the eye and say, I'm asking a great deal from God for you. I'm asking not just in a time of trial, not just when you're sick, not just when you're struggling, not just when you have some big ordeal going on, but on a daily basis, I'm praying and asking a great deal from God for you. But I'm convinced that God is able to do far more than we even ask or think. I'm asking Him a great deal, but He can do even more than that. That's the kind of confidence that Paul had in God. That's the kind of commitment Paul had to prayer. Here's the takeaway. Everyone needs someone praying for them. Do we believe that? I think Paul believed that. He, he believed that he needed people praying for him. He knew that his ministry couldn't be what God wanted it to be unless the church was praying to God on his behalf. And he knew that each congregation couldn't be all that they could be unless someone was praying to God on their behalf. And and I see this all throughout the New Testament. 
In the book of Acts, do you remember chapter 6? The book of Acts, the church first got started. I mean, 3,000 people obeyed on the very first time the gospel was preached. There were thousands of disciples, and there were some widows that were kind of getting overlooked. And so the apostles said, listen, we need to appoint some men to, to kind of take care of these widows because they're, they're being neglected. But, but here's an interesting thing that they said. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Somebody else needs to take care of this food thing because we've got to devote ourselves to preaching the Word and to prayer. Somebody's got to be praying for these people. Somebody's got to be devoted to praying for these people. Did the apostles truly believe that the church needed people praying on their behalf? That someone needed to be praying that the gospel would go further and reach more and that more hearts and minds would be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed that the power of God through the power of prayer. And then I think about what James says. Because some of us, some of us are convinced that we really don't need to really have this kind of relationship with each other. We're convinced that our spiritual life is between me and God and it's none of your business. We're convinced that when we have sins and struggles and when we're not all that we should be, that's just between me and God. You just keep your nose out of it. But that's not what the Bible says, church. James says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. James chapter 5 and verse 16, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You need someone praying for you. But everybody else needs someone praying for them. So I think we have to, conv- we have to commit ourselves to two things. One, We have to say, I will commit myself to praying for the spiritual growth of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will choose some people. I'll make a list. And I'm going to pray for their spiritual growth. I'm going to pray a prayer like Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to ask other people to be praying for me. I'm going to ask people to intercede to God on my behalf. I'm going to confess my sins to other people and say, listen, I'm struggling with this. I'm not all that I should be. I'm not all that I know to be. I don't grasp and understand and comprehend like I should. And I need you to pray for me. That's the kind of relationship that the gospel calls us to have. That's the kind of place. That's the kind of community. That's the kind of body where growth happens. The body has to be connected to one another because growth doesn't happen independently. Everybody, everyone needs someone praying for them. And so with that in mind, we would love to pray with you right now. We would love to pray with you as a group. or We'd love to pray with you with our shepherds in the back after services. But church, listen, we believe in the power of God and we believe in the power of prayer. James says that the prayers of the church, the prayers of Christians, the prayers of the saints are powerful in their working. That when we pray for each other, healing happens. Do you need healing? Do you need growth? 
Do you need strengthening? I know I do. Commit yourself to praying for me. And let us commit ourselves to praying for you. We're going to offer an invitation. And maybe there's somebody here that's decided it's time to put Jesus on in baptism and become a part of the body of Christ so that we can build each other up because growth doesn't happen independently. It happens as a part of the body of Jesus. And if you want to be added to that body and be forgiven of your sins, then what are you waiting for? We would love to have you as a part of the body of Christ so that we can be in this together. If we can just pray pray with you or encourage you, whatever we can do, you can come forward as we stand and sing.